week off to prepare for possibly one of my most anticipated games that we've covered this year, which is uh, Danganronpa 2, Goodbye Despair. Uh, today I have with me Matt. Hello, friends. Back from his NaNoWriMo success. Yeah, second year in a row. There you it's go. Exciting. Uh, I'm excited to hear those episodes. Um, yeah, it's about finished putting up last year, so I'm going to try and get these ones up quite a bit faster. Gotcha. Hopefully, over the next couple of weeks, as you know, as Christmas tends to get work to slow down a little bit, get yeah. a bit more time. And uh, our returning guest for I don't know how many times. Uh, Let's see. There was um, shoot. We did Dino Crisis. Uh-huh. We did Alpha Protocol. Yeah. And I think that's it, isn't it? Was there? No, I did Danganronpa one. And Danganronpa one. One. So yeah, this is the fourth time. Yeah. Not a hit. So yeah, um, Danganronpa two. We we did Danganronpa one. I can't remember. Matt, you were absent for it. But I think it wasn't it last year during. NaNoWriMo? No, because that was Psychonauts with um, John. I thought you did this and then Psychonauts right after, no? It, that yeah. may have that may have been the case. I can't really remember. Um, I think I was, I was out of commission for about five weeks, so I think you ended up doing this for three and then Psychonauts for a couple. Yeah, that might have been the case, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, we. Uh, I remember Jay asking me, He's like, uh, so what do you want to do? And I was like, I have no idea. And so he gave me uh, three choices, and I said, we'll just do Danganronpa. I, I don't remember what the other choices were. One of them was uh, uh, 999. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a good one, too. Yeah, I've played 999 yeah. before. I didn't get the true ending, but I have played it before. Yeah, the the true ending is well worth uh, replaying the game for. But maybe when the, uh, the PS4 version comes out, we can revisit that. There you go. Um, yeah, I like some of these recommendations on games because I also played through and absolutely loved Steins Gate. Uh, man, it's it warms my heart to hear you say that, Matt. Like I, I love- I've been recommending this game to everybody. I've been pushing it lately. At, at, there's a couple guys at work. I've been pushing it on the two of them. Uh but you gotta you gotta get the true ending, Matt. I'm sorry, you have to get it. If you don't get it, you haven't seen the true story yet. I know. I think so. That that was my plan. I just bought Steinge- Steins Gate Zero, mm-hmm. but I can't play it until I get the true ending. Yes. But I don't know yes. if I can play through the whole game again, or can I just watch the anime? Uh, the anime does actually go straight to the true ending, but I mean, it's like a 24-episode anime, so it's not too bad. But um, the thing is, the game touches up on a lot of things that uh, the anime doesn't. So if you want like the full experience, the game is the way to go. But if you, I mean, the anime is pretty good too. Like it'll give you a good gist and the way they deal with the, how to go through like the loopholes and everything. Because Steins Gate Zero isn't a prequel or a sequel. It's something that happens in between the events of Steins Gate itself. So you have yeah. to know what happens in the true ending for this to make sense. So uh, yeah, yeah watching watch the anime is not bad. So I, yeah. Love that first one. Um, the as we do with every series, I mean, it's kind of a given. But uh, I like to talk about our history with the game. I know Jay, you reviewed Danganronpa two for the site, um, so I, I know you were obviously excited to it for it and requested it from Ken. So you uh, you did that, and that was what two thousand thirteen was when this game came out. 
Uh, let me give you the exact date, actually. Okay. So I can pull it up here. That was August 29th, 2014. 2014, so it's only about yeah. two years old. Okay. Um, and obviously my history is this is the first time I've ever playing it. I was intrigued after playing the first game with you on Phoenix Down. And Matt, you have not completed the first game. Is that correct? I have not even come close. I have played the first case of the first game. Okay. And I, I, I'm really torn. I, I'm my expectations are all over the place for this game. Yeah, because there's some things I really liked in what I played, and there's some things I really didn't like. Now I did go through over the last week. I've listened to the three of your previous episodes when you covered the first game. Right. So I, I got some of the story that way. I did listen to all your episodes, and I only played the. First, the intro in the first chat, the first case. The um, without spoiling anything about the second game, I will say that the the important information that you needed to have taken from the first game isn't gonna be a big deal in the second game until you get near the end of the game. So don't worry about it too much. And when it does, uh, me and Drew can fill you in. But the thing about what playing the first game does. Uh, as opposed to playing the second game, you know, right after it, is that it messes with your expectations yeah. because uh, the the game hits story beats that seem very similar, almost identical some to some degree, but it twists them in a way that they worked all those experiences and ideas and conceptions that you have about the previous game against you, and it's done in a really clever way. So you're you're gonna miss out on those aspects. But we'll mention them as, as we as we uh, kind of get to them, I suppose. But uh, yeah, that's that's a bit of a pity. But uh, it, it won't ruin your experience or anything, so you don't have to worry about it. Right. Yeah, because I, I definitely had some concerns after what I played. I mean, I, I thought it was interesting. I, I I really liked the setup of the game, but one of the things that I couldn't necessarily get out of the recordings that you guys did. Was so you know I, I kind of feel like the, the first case in the first game, you know, as soon as she writes the one one three oh seven in the in the bathroom, uh-huh. from like basically at that moment, I'm like, yeah, that that very clearly says Leon. Yeah, of course. So the whole rest of the case, I'm like, I I don't I don't really get it now. What? Why are we going through all the rest of this stuff when it was so obvious? Well, the thing about it as the nature of it being the very first case. So they yeah. specifically made it so that you already know who the person is. You know, kind of like when they do mysteries, there's the whodunit mysteries, and there's the mysteries where you know the person who the murderer is, but you don't know how they did it. You don't know yeah. the methods that they use. So the first case was like that. You were supposed to know as as the player, but not the player character, of course. He was supposed to find that uh, naturally. But as the player, you're supposed to know, and you're using that knowledge, you're supposed to kind of lead the main character towards the right direction. But after the first case, it's not obvious at all who the uh, who so, the culprit so is. When you go into the trials for the other cases, did you not know? I mean, you might have had some ideas, but you, you weren't certain? Uh, after the first case? Oh, God, yeah. Because that was the one thing is at, that I couldn't really tell from from the recordings is you know you kind of went through the the evidence but it wasn't always clear to me when it sort of aligned with what you thought versus you know just being completely lost because I, I listening to how absurdly intricate the cases yeah, yeah, got yeah. my one concern about this game is that I at some point you know when it's the quadruple double cross 
you know, I, I just kind of throw up my arms and I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm not trying to figure anything out anymore. Because it's, gotten, it's gotten so absurd. I'm just along for the ride now. I'm no longer trying to piece things together like a detective. And I'm just kind of like, all right, I, I guess show it to me because I can't figure it out. Anymore. That That's the biggest thing about listening to us talk about this game because we're basically telling you what happened while playing the game. You're living what's happening. Yeah. In so first person di- kind of thing. It's a different monster altogether. Uh, yeah. we, we, we tried our best <laughs> to to convey a lot of the stuff that happened, but we we also missed a lot of stuff as well. Like things that we didn't think was that important to mention might have been something crucial to someone else to notice something different. So even though we, you know, we kind of went through beat by beat on the major uh, revelations and whatnot, it's still not enough. It's yeah. it's, it's not even close to a replacement for what happened in the game. But luckily you're here with us now. You're going to be playing through the second game and you're going to be here beat by beat so i think you're not going to have any issues with getting lost yeah i did think it was super interesting to listen to how absurd it gets i you know i I, it was actually a lot of fun just to listen to those episodes the the greatest thing i can say about the first series that we did for the first game was the the love i had for me coming up with this theory (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, yeah. this, because the game reinforced it so many times. I was like, yeah, it's the, funny yeah, to the, me. <laughs> this was just yesterday. I just finished listening to it like yesterday. Yeah. It's been and well it's over crazy. a year for us, but. I, oh, you're... I, I had so much fun just kind of letting Drew push his own way without hinting anything different because it, it amused me to no end to see like his theories and how he was trying to piece together like the puzzle pieces that don't fit into that puzzle, but he was just jamming them in there. Just ignore <laughs> those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the thing. I was like, these people are dead. This is some kind of this is some kind of hell or purgatory that they're in, you know. And then whenever I found that room where it looked like a bunch of students got killed, I was like, exactly. See, this is where they all died, and now they're stuck here. I was like, this is perfect, and I was like, this this fits in perfectly. <laughs> It was so much fun, just just like yeah. coming up with these theories and stuff. And and guess what? Like I'm gonna be like you know me. Uh, oh yeah, like like Drew said, you know full disclosure, I beaten this game. I remember most of what happened, like all the most important bits and stuff like that. So the game's challenge isn't there for me. But what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna try to stay neutral for your your theories and stuff like that. I'm not gonna try to lead you one way or another. But I will also also at the same time be asking you specific questions about your expectations. And the things that you will see coming, and then uh, at the at the end, you know, when we actually get those revelations and when we get all the facts out there, we can kind of compare the two and see how close you guys were, and we're gonna have a good time. Yeah, yeah. So I only had one other concern in the in the part that I played in the first game, and that was at some point in the first case, I had missed a clue, and I, I just I had no idea where to go to find it. I had no indication of what I had missed. And um, it was really hard from within the game. You know, it, it wouldn't let me go start the trial. And I'm like, I don't know what I need to do. So it, it was it was a uh, little frustrating in that respect. The, the second game actually makes that a little easier. Because let's say you're doing an investigation. If you don't get all the clues that area has to offer, the game won't let you leave that area. Yeah. The game will yeah. be straight up say like, "Oh, I have I have more things I should investigate here." So in that way, you won't miss anything. 
But the thing is, you still have to pay close attention to what the game suggests you to do. Because it's not going to hold your hand and put out a checkpoint or marker where you got to go follow. It'll say something like, maybe I should talk to her next to see what she saw. And then you're going to have to go find where she is. The game's not going to tell you. But in that regard, that's pretty simple because you have the map system and everything. But I don't think it'll be too obscure. Yeah. So um, we got a lot to cover. The first thing I want to do is character introductions. That's good. Um, So we start off and we play as a character, obviously. Uh, Much like in the first game, we played as Makoto. This time, we're playing as Hajime. Um... So I need to reiterate this because I remember Jamie was emailing us about this and saying that we ended up calling people by nicknames, swimmer girl, stuff like that, because Mm -hmm. I have trouble remembering Japanese names. In this game, you'll find out in the first trial, you have to learn these people's names because it's like this person's account and this person's account. And I'm like, I have no idea who these people are. You know, if they had pictures next to them, I would know who they are. But you kind of have to learn these people's names. So I can't call mechanic guy or, you know, dance girl kind of thing. Uh, well, the good thing is you can press the, the square button at any time and go look at all of your all of your truth bolts. Yeah. And what that will do is that when you click on the truth bolt, it will actually show you a description and actually also show you the picture of the person. Yeah. So as long as you look at your um, evidence very carefully, you shouldn't have an issue. But you'll learn these characters before the game is done, whether you like it or not. Yeah. Every once in a while, I'll be like, who, who is that one again? I, like, I can narrow it down to like two people. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's kind of like that. But, um, yeah, Hajime. Um, is our main character. We are playing as him. We also get his inner monologue uh, when he is thinking to himself. Um, he has been accepted to Hope's Peak Academy, which that happened last time. Um, which I'm going to be bringing that up as well. Like, just, all right, so I know what happened in the first game. What's going on with this in the second game kind of thing? Right, right. Um, so he's accepted into Hope's Peak Academy. He... Um, him along with, uh, was it 15 other students or 16 in all, um, are, um, the ultimates of something. Um, and, uh, they only accept the best of the best. And as everyone knows, when you graduate from Hoax Peak Academy, you are pretty much set for life. You will be successful in whatever you choose to do. Um, guaranteed kind of thing. So, um... It starts off with him going for his first day of school. He passes out for some unknown reason. And when he wakes up, he is in a room with a bunch of other people. And a talking animatronic rabbit. With, with, with angel wings. With angel wings, yeah. Um <laughs> And uh, she announces to everybody that her name is Usami, um, and she is going to be everybody's teacher. Um, the The room then collapses, and we see where we actually are. We are out standing on a beach, and we are on this island, and she has instructed us to basically live our lives to the fullest here on the island, be kind to one another, and gather um, these hope fragments by learning about each other. 
Yeah, I've never rolled my eyes so hard. As if that's what this game was going to be like. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, with character introductions, we'll just go ahead and get them out of the way. Obviously, Hajime, main character, unfortunately, can't remember much. He doesn't remember how he got here, which nobody does. But the big important thing is that he doesn't remember what ultimate he is. Everybody has an ultimate ability. They're the ultimate something. But he can't remember exactly what his is. Um, there is also, let's see here, uh, Nagito, which is the ultimate lucky student. Um, and when I first saw him, I instantly thought of Makoto because he kind of looks like an older version of Makoto. Right. Um, the art style kind of just, I mean, maybe it's just, just the art style or something like it's, that. Um, I'll, I will tell you that it's a hundred percent on purpose. That the way that he looks. Um, the thing about Nagito is that the ultimate lucky student is actually the ultimate talent that Makoto Naegi also has well. Yeah. So he had the same talent, looks similar, and guess what? It's the exact same voice actor doing mm. the voice for Nagito. And this is a part of the deception that we'll go into later down. Uh, okay. We start getting into class trials, but moving on. Um, up next is Chiaki, who is the ultimate gamer. Um, she likes to sleep a lot, but she's also very observant. Um, seems to me that she's actually a pretty good investigator, which she says is because she plays a lot of investing video games. <laughs> yeah. So um, she's another one. Uh, uh, f- oh, God, I'm pronouncing these. Fuyuhiko. Yeah. Um, yep. Who is uh, the ultimate Yakuza. Or Yakuza, I should say. That's how you pronounce that. Um, he is the heir to a, um, I guess, a, the Japanese mob, one of the big Japanese mobs. Um, kind of a huge Yeah, he's a, he's a very huge dick. He's short in stature. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he is... He's, he's got a baby face, but he just curses constantly and just calls everyone assholes. Yeah, he has, like, the biggest mouth and... He's kind of a loner, stays away from people a lot, um, doesn't want to talk to anybody. He's very antisocial. Uh, up next is Ibuki. I see, I know that one because of a Street Fighter character. Um, Ibuki is the ultimate musician. Um, she is in a popular girl band, um, and um, uh, she she's actually gone solo. From yeah, the, she, the, she yeah. recently just changed to a solo career. Um, up next is uh, Kazuichi. Um, I know him as Soda because that's his last name, and that's easy to remember. Mm-hmm. Um, he is the ultimate mechanic. Um, which, when I when I first saw him, it it immediately reminded me of the ultimate baseball player for some reason. Yeah, he has a very aggressive looking face. Yeah. Um, up next is another easy one to remember. His name is Gundam <laughs> Tanaka. Gun- yeah, Gundam yeah. Tanaka. Yeah, uh, he is the ultimate breeder who breeds uh, hamsters. Uh, he breeds all sorts of animals, not just hamsters. Well, he so car- he carries a bunch of hamsters yeah, around. Yeah, he, he carries he carries four hamsters who he calls the four dark devas of destruction. <laughs> so he's one of those people that lives in lives inside of his own fantasy, yeah. kind of yep. like role plays, kind of thing, very dramatic. Yeah. 
Yeah, he talks like yeah, something out of a fantasy novel. Yeah, the voice actor makes it very over the top as well. Yeah, he yeah. does. Great. <laughs> uh, up next is uh, Mikan. Is that how you pronounce it? Mikan Tasumi. Tasumi. Tasumiki. Sumiki. Mikan Sumiki. Thank you. Uh, wow, that's. <laughs> I'm just bad. Uh, she's the ultimate nurse. Um, she is a very timid, almost cowardly person. She she has issues, man. Like you talk to her, and she she freaks out, saying like, "Are you know, are you okay talking with garbage like me?" She has like self esteem issues, like the worst that you'll ever see. Um, but she's a very, very talented nurse. It seems like. Yeah, she's a very talented nurse. She's also very clumsy. Yes, falls down a lot. Up next is uh, Hiyoko, um, who is uh, the ultimate traditional dancer. Um, she's like a very young girl. Seems like she's the youngest out of them all. Uh, a lot of people don't even believe that she's even in high school. Seems to be probably like probably 14, 13, 14 years old. I think I think she's the right age, but she just looks really young. She just looks really young. Yeah. Um, and uh, she just looks young and innocent, but then she has the biggest foul mouth you ever met. Yeah, she tells people to go die constantly and yeah. loves torturing bugs and killing things. Yeah. yeah. Pretty terrifying. Uh, and she also treats uh, me kind of like shit. Yep. Yeah. Um, up next is uh, Akane, who is the ultimate gymnast. She reminds me of Swimmer Girl. Yep. She is a very built uh, woman uh, with very, well, let's just not beat around the bush, very large breasts. Which and, is funny in the gymnast's tend not to have very large <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah you're right yeah yeah that's that's the best <laughs> conclusion but she is um i wouldn't say simple she just all she cares about is eating and and working out and becoming the best athlete athlete ever kind of thing um but she's not very bright yeah um up next is uh, Nekumaru, who is uh, the ultimate team manager. Um, once again, looks like somebody from Fist of the North Star. Yeah, he does. <laughs> uh, which is kind of he's got like, like he's got like Jotaro chains. Like if you know like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, he's got like Jotaro chains above his shoulders and stuff. Yeah, he's it's like he's got a stand. It's great. Uh, but yeah, so <laughs> we got him. Uh, he's uh, the ultimate team manager. So he's kind of like the um, I wouldn't say of the coach, but he he helps out teams become the best teams in the world, kind of thing. Uh, after that, uh, Teturu, who is the ultimate cook. Uh, you mean you mean Taro Taro? Taro Taro is that how you pronounce it? I think so. Taro Taro, right? Taro Taro. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the ultimate cook, who is kind of like the the weirdo. Um, he's, a, he's a pervert. He, yeah, he's, he's a pervert. He reminds me of the uh, fanfic guy from the first game. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, because uh, he, he's drawn differently. Uh, the fanfic guy was all about two D though, uh, and this guy is all about them three D girls. This is true. Well, yeah. he he <laughs> is like not just a pervert. He's fucking like weird. Yeah, constantly telling women that his his loins are full of poison and it needs to be sucked out. <laughs> yeah. 
He's fucking disgusting. But anyway, he is the ultimate cook, although he wants to be called chef. Uh, up next is Sonia Nevermind. Once again, these names, man. Uh, yeah. She is the ultimate princess. Um, originally, I was thinking this is going to be a ditzy character, but actually come to find out, not really. No, not, not at all. Yeah. Um, she's seems like she's always looking at the brighter side of things. Um, she she's very ignorant of commoners and how they work, yeah. but she's not stupid or anything like that. She just kind of doesn't know things. Yeah, but she's very nice. Uh, and um, there is uh, Mahiru. Um, Mahiru, yeah, Mahiru, uh, who is the ultimate photographer. Um, she's a a pretty. She, uh, to me, it feels like kind of a standard character. She's not mean. She's also not overly aggressive yeah she seems kind of out she seems normal and out of place among these rambunctious characters yeah yeah that's how, that's I, how I would say it. she's probably the closest to to the main character as anybody yeah that's true uh and uh there's uh pecco uh, mm-hmm. uh, who is the ultimate swordswoman. she um obviously is very skilled with a sword uh very quiet person doesn't talk always, always carries like a bamboo sword behind their back at all times. Yeah, like kind of like the ultimate samurai. Yep. Um, but she's very quiet. Doesn't say much. But when she does, she's she's kind of convicted. She's she's you know she's just. I'll put it that way. And then the last character, and the character, the reason why I saved them for last is because this is a very familiar character. Uh, Byakuya. We've had this problem before in the first series. Just call him Togami. Togami. Or as I called him in the first game, asshole. Yeah, sure. Um, who is the ultimate, um, affluent prodigy? He's in the first game. He was one of the survivors of the first game. And uh, throughout the course of the first game, his personality changes. Yeah. He becomes someone more accepting of others. Uh, he believed himself to be better than everyone. Mm-hmm. That's why he kind of went against Makoto at whenever, whatever chance that he could get. And he straight up told people that, yeah, if I can kill one of you and get away with it to escape here, I would do that in a heartbeat. But through the course of the events, he changed to be a much better guy. Yeah, he's still condescending and a bit of an asshole, but his heart is in the right place yeah. at the end of the game. But now we see him again in Danganronpa 2. Yeah. So he's a returning character, but there is something very different about him. He seems to have added about 200 pounds. Yes. He, he was a very thin uh, thin guy in the first game. Uh, now he looks like the otaku guy from the first one. Yeah. But he's still, like, he still has that very like you know uh, intense look in his eyes. Got the glasses. Dressed really properly. He's just really big now. Yeah. So uh yeah, that's that's our cast of characters for this adventure. Um and so let's begin with the, the, the start of the game. So originally the plan is to listen to this rabbit, animatronic rabbit, tell us that we need to get along with everybody and um and get to know everybody and live on the island. And everybody's kind of freaking out. They're like, well, how did I get here? I don't want to be here. What the hell's going on? 
Uh, and I'll be honest with you, to begin with, I like the way Hajime was acting. I was like, I don't know if I like this character as much as I do Makoto. Mm-hmm. Uh, just at the beginning, um, because he he was actually, even though he wasn't saying this stuff to people, he was thinking it in his head, basically being kind of condescending to people in his own mind. Um, so, Jesus, I don't even know where to begin. Um, we go on a tour of the island, um, and, um, Asami is showing us the different places that we can go. The first one being, obviously, where the beach is, but there is a full hotel, um, complete with, like, a full restaurant. Um, there's also cottages where basically everybody stays. Everybody has their own cottage. Um, there is also a farm or a ranch where they yep, have a ranch. Yeah, they have animals there. Um, this is where it gets kind of weird. While, magical animals. What's that now? Magical animals. Yeah, magical animals. So he, he, here's here's my thing that I always liked about the first game was that it. While it is fantastical, it was always slightly grounded in reality. Right. While I saw this right here, and I was like, that doesn't fit in this game. Yeah, doesn't doesn't seem to really make sense, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, there's a chicken at the ranch, and Usami has a magic wand, and she waves it and turns the chicken into a cow. That's a hell of a magic trick. Yeah. Um, and I'm just like, I don't know how do I feel about that because I was like that that just doesn't feel right. I mean, obviously it can be some type of trick, um, yeah, that doesn't require magic. But I was now, like, hmm. along those same lines, does it? What is our assumption over how Usami g- gets around? Because her and and the bear just always pop up and is the expectation like I, I feel like in the first game there were like passages and things like he could have just been popping out of like secret compartments but mm-hmm. so far in this game it seems like they just literally pop out of thin air or maybe up out of the ground I don't know but um, well just like you said I will say that in the first game how it was done is that there were cameras and surveillance just everywhere, literally. And there were literally just compartments filled with these things, just this by design. So it made sense that they were able to just pop up at any time. But in this game, it hasn't been explained yet. That's yeah. for you to draw your own conclusion on. That's that's the biggest thing. Is like The first game explained a lot at the beginning, uh, mainly yeah. through his rules. So you can't bring any kind of damage to the headmaster, Monokuma kind of thing. He said that straight up at the beginning of the game in the first game. He hasn't said that yet. And we find out, you know, he, he kills somebody because they try to attack Monokuma at the very beginning of the game. Of the first game. I need, I yeah. need to specify. Yeah, of the first game. And that's when you learn about the rules. Nope, you can't, you can't try and damage me. But that's also how you find out he has multiple Monokumas just hanging around. And he can control them whenever he wants to. So that's how he kind of pops up everywhere is because they're everywhere. And they just activate whenever he chooses to activate one. 
Um, and in this one, they don't explain any of that. In fact, there's a lot of a lot of those rules that I remember from the first game. They have not mentioned in this game yet. And normally, that those rules have already been explained, but they haven't been explained in this game. So, um, so yeah, that that's one of the places. There's another place. Uh, there's an airport. Um, unfortunately, none of the air planes have any type of engine equipment in them. They're all there for kind of like props. Um, oh god, what else is on the island? There's there's one other thing. Uh, uh, supermarket. Yeah, the supermarket. Yeah, there's a supermarket that's full of pretty much everything you can imagine, um, including like uh, any type of foods, um, supplies for camping, um, even certain types of like military surplus supplies. It's uh, like fl- flashlights, night vision goggles, and all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which come into play, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, after the tour. She tells us to go get your hope fragments, which is basically what you obtain from talking to people and getting to know them. Um, and to take everybody's mind off of everything. They're like, let's go swimming. And pretty much everybody's like, yeah, okay, we'll do that. Except for Hajime. And he's like, though, this uh, is insane. Well, there, there's a few people that uh, refuse to go swimming because they also agree with Hajime that it's A, embarrassing, and B, kind of crazy. Yeah. You know? They were in the middle of a classroom, and all of a sudden, the walls literally fall down, and they're in the middle of a beach. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Like, what, the, what the fuck is going on here? I think a normal person would be too too surprised and kind of shocked to really be enjoying themselves at that point. So, yeah. Um, but then the, the, the kind of nice air turns sour. The, um, the skies get really dark. And something bad happens. None other than the fucking bear himself, Monokuma, shows up. Yeah, our favorite psycho. Yeah. Yep. And he shows up and decides that nope, this is my this is my town. I'm gonna do what I want. He then proceeds to beat the living crap out of Usami. Uh-huh. <laughs> Punches her constantly. Um, and he takes her magic wand that she used to turn a chicken into a cow. And breaks it in half, rendering it useless. Uh, and then he decides, he, he then declares that, uh, she will now be called, uh, Manomi? Manomi? Uh, Manomi, yeah. Manomi. Kind of like Mana, Manakuma, but Manami. Yeah. Manami, yeah. Um, and through this exchange, we get the feeling that both Manami and Manakuma know each other. Uh, which Manakuma says that he is that she is his little sister um to which i'm thinking okay well obviously they're working together and i'm like well but to what ends you know kind of thing uh and then he breaks down the rules which everybody knows well if you played the first game you're all stuck here on this island and you can't leave you will be constantly monitored and the only way to escape is if you kill another one of your student classmates and get away with it. Um, and after a body has been discovered, they have a class trial, and you have to vote on who you think the killer is. If you vote wrong, or if the if the killer is not the 
If the person that's voted is not the killer, everybody dies except for the killer, and the killer walks free. That was one other question I had. Can you get a game over during the class trials, or do you just keep repeating it until you get the right answer? You can get a game over, but game I mean, over. You, can, yeah. you just basically say to retry that. Yeah. The, there is no bad ending. At least there wasn't one in the first game. Actually, there was one in the first game. Yeah, that's right. I remember getting it. But but, <laughs> yeah, but, but then it, but then it was like, uh, you need to do this again, and they just yeah, it did a really it. clever way. It's like that's how it could have gone, and then it just like backwards, like and then goes back all the way to the point where you made that choice. Yeah, that's true. That was a clever way to handle it. Yeah, that's true. I do remember that now. Yeah, but uh, but as far as the class trials go, there's no way to really lose kind of thing, at least as, as far as I know. Um, but if you choose the correct killer, then the killer is executed and you continue living your life on the island. Um, and they, I mean, that's pretty much all he explains and then runs off. Um, what I find a little confusing, uh, so far is the fact that they're going by both, both rules the, so there's rule sets that were set before the killing stuff supposed to happen, but then there's new rules that Mon- Monokuma set up. And uh, the the old rules no longer apply. The uh, the fragments that you get, it doesn't matter how many you collect them. You don't get to get off the island or anything like that. You just collect them, and then once you get enough of them, you actually gain like a skill from them. Yeah, that's like a that's like a gameplay thing. It is. So it's all about the Monokuma rules. And also another couple of things that he mentions during that whole thing is that he mentions that um, what am I call it? Uh, their um, was it the Monomi, the, the the rabbit apparently stole the memory of how the students got there. Yeah. Uh, so he says, like you know, this this rabbit is not your friend. She has stolen your memories, and not only that, she has stolen the memory of when you were here and attending the school. These these like three or four years that you were a student here, you no longer recall the memories of. So the time has passed since you got here, but you don't remember it. Yeah. So that's like a, that's like a huge deal. So they, she's basically robbed them about of about four years of their lives, so to speak. And um, you don't know what happened. And also, lastly, there were supposed to be 15 students in this class, but there are 16. Yeah. And he claims that one of them is a traitor. Yeah. And um, whether any of these claims that uh, Monokuma made is true or not is uh, kind of up to debate at this point because nothing is proven. But uh, it's kind of set there to make you wonder. And it also plants the seeds of doubt into the characters as well. Because it, it, let's say, for example, you know, someone say like, "Oh, you've been locked up in this place, and you don't remember what what's happened in the world for four years." There was a life outside for you. That's you know, that's kind of left you behind for four years. So that has a lot of attention to why people are there and why why they want to leave so fast in the first place. Yeah. So um, that, but going back to the to the rules thing, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure um, Monami was the one who set up the rule that there's no littering and they're still going by that rule. Okay. But that's like pretty insignificant, isn't it? Oh, it comes up in a class trial. Eh, I guess, sure. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, that, that's just neither here nor there. So, um, 
gosh, I don't even know where to start. Everybody's kind of freaked out at the moment. Um, and then everybody goes to their cottages, but then they're summoned again later on that night to go to the, uh, go across the bridge. So there's multiple islands, come to find out. Um, and we're on only on the first island. There's a central island that then leads to other islands. So much like in the first game, when you finish a class trial, a new island will open up, just like how a new floor of the school would open up. But currently, we only have the one island that we've already explored, as well as the central island. And uh, later on that night, Monokuma summons everybody to the central island. Um, when we get there, there is a, a statue of a, a man on a horse. We don't know exactly what. But, um, the statue turns into mechs. Multiple mechs, yep. Multiple mechs. Uh, multiple, uh, he calls on uh, the mono beasts. Yep. Um, and, um, they're there to make sure we don't leave the island. Or, or attempt to leave the island. Or go to places that we're not supposed to. Yeah, I mean, the gate probably would have been sufficient, but. <laughs> No, why when not? you when you can yeah, summon like, giant giant mechs straight out of anime, why not, man? Why not? Exactly. Yeah. So, um, and to show that he's not screwing around, he ha he orders one of the beasts to kill uh, Monami, um, which it tears her apart. Uh, which it doesn't really matter because she comes back. So. Um, but that, it scares the living crap out of everybody. Um, the other big thing is that once the statue changes into the mono beasts, they will go and guard each gate that keeps us from going to other islands. A new statue has appeared, um, and the statue looks like a giant ball that has a timer on it that's counting down. Mm -hmm. And it's counting down days hours and minutes um it's very ominous um, ominous and um don't really know what to think of that what happens when it counts down um so after that i think we just uh, start well after that everyone's basically freaking the fuck out yeah because why wouldn't you it's like all of a sudden, there's something that it looks like a giant bomb in the middle of the place. There's like anime ass mechs running around, like guarding the places, so you can't you can't escape. Uh, a psychotic bear beast thing. That's so everyone's freaked out for very good reasons, right? Yeah. But uh, Byakuya kind of takes control, and you know, Togami takes control and says, like, "Listen, you guys listen to me, and we'll make sure that we get out of this alive. I won't I won't let there be any victims." And uh, being the fact that we know Togami from the previous game, it feels like maybe he's drawing on his experience from the the last last game or the last encounter that he was in to maybe try to lead these people uh, without uh, getting any of them killed. Right. Well, see, that's what we're led to believe. The mm -hmm. the, the thing is, we don't know if he actually remembers his last encounter. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, they don't tell you straight up. So yeah, he he kind of takes charge and wants to to be the leader of the entire group, 
Um, and the, I think after that, he's, he's basically like, I won't let anybody die here. Not on my watch kind of thing. Um, and so the next day is when we decide to basically kind of go off on our own, do some, we have free time as it comes up, um, which we can then hang out with people and, um, and get to know them more. There's uh, two people that I've basically chose to hang out exclusively with. Okay, where are they? Um, it's actually um, Chiaki, the gamer. Okay, sure. And um, uh, f- God, what the hell is his name? Uh, Tell me his talent. He is the team manager. Uh, Neko Nekomaru. Nekomaru. There you go. Yeah. I, uh, what What about you, Matt? Who did you decide to hang out with those three days? Uh, so I've so far we've had what four opportunities? Yes, and I've done four different people. Oh, you have? Okay, so you're kind of trying to get the lay of the land and see multiple people instead of Drew's more focused uh, approach. Yeah. Gotcha. Trying to get trying to get a sense of of the characters more okay. so than yeah, just from sort of the the generic dialogue that we get. So you know, I figured if I could spend a little time with each character, maybe I'd have. Uh, who who picked your interest so far? Um, I also did Chiaki. Okay. I did Peko. Okay, the swordswoman. I did Nekamaru, and I did Gundam. Okay, interesting choices. All right. I I find that interesting because. The more you get to know a certain character, the more you'll, you know, kind of uh, want them to stay alive kind of thing. So those characters that you're going to get attached to are determined more so by, like, how you spend your free time and stuff like that. And that's a good indicator. So it's interesting to see uh, who interests you guys in particular. Yeah. And I think kind of subconsciously, Nekomaru and and Peko both seem like strong characters. They do. They do definitely seem very strong. They seem like good characters so far. So I, I thought that... You know, I didn't choose them specifically because I thought that they would be sort of leaders, but, you know, maybe subconsciously that was part of the reason. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I, I chose, I don't know why I chose those two. I chose, um, it's weird because when you get to know these people, they act differently. And getting to learn, um, the gamer girl. Um, she's, she's more intelligent than what I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've done a little bit more, um, besides what we were, what we're going to talk about today. And I think, um, she's going to turn out to be a pretty good asset. So, uh, did you get past the, you beat the first case, right, Matt? Yep. Did you did you get any further than that, or did you stop after that? Uh, I I haven't got to the second murder yet, but I'm still sort okay. of in that in between stuff. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. I don't know for certain. I'm just saying. Um, okay. But um, but yeah, I don't know why I chose those people. I guess just because the thing is, is I only choose two people because I feel like I can actually get their skill. Because I'm kind of gaming the game a little bit because I want to get their skill. Because if you learn, if you if you get maximum friendship with them, you learn their skill that you can then use in 
in the trials. The, oh, those right. skills are nice to have, but they're not necessary to beat the game. Oh, all. yeah. So you don't have to stress it, but some of them are actually pretty neat. They give you some advantages here and there. Yeah. Um, so after that, uh, with the free time and stuff like that, um, what is the, the motive here? There, it, or was that the motive? Um, he gave motive on the first one, but I can't remember what the hell it was. Well, the the motive is the whole, you know, like there's a traitor, and also you you had uh, like years of memory taken away from you, and the passage of time has continued on the outside world, kind of thing. Uh, I think that is the motive uh, for the the first case, anyway. Yeah. But um, but at this point, uh, you know, Byakuya has said that, uh, or Tagami has said that he wants to keep everyone in line, make sure no one kills kills each other. Uh, whether he remembers the event of the first game or not, this is something that he says, and he wants to take charge. And he's uh, Togami seems like a very intelligent person. Like he he's in control. He knows what he's talking about. So everyone listens, and he suggests that everyone uh, you know get together in one place after hours so that they could better kind of uh, get an understanding of each other. Kind of you know kind of it's harder to kill a friend than a stranger, right? Yeah. So. Get by getting to know each other, like they'll 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 make it more difficult and they'll kind of stop people from making any rash decisions. So he says that everyone should get back to uh, get together in this place, like this abandoned abandoned warehouse on the right side, uh, on the left side, um, where there is no surveillance cameras installed there. You know that's a big deal because you know they don't want to be watched by Monokuma or something like that. So they want to go there. They want to discuss their future plans, get to know each other. So they they decide to gather together, you know, and and do the whole thing. Yeah, have a party. Also, mm-hmm. also harder to kill somebody with fourteen witnesses. Exactly. Yeah. Very very true. So, um, in order to get ready for that party, um, originally they didn't want us in there. Um, uh, Monomi. Is like no, that place is still being renovated. It's not ready yet. You guys can't go in there. Um, so uh, we decide to all right. Well, we'll get the place ready, and um, you know, get it nice and clean, everything like that, and get it ready. You know, we're gonna we got the ultimate cook. He can make some great food. You know, we got. Um, I mean, that's about it. But <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, food makes the party. I'll tell you that. This, much. this is this is true. I don't want to go to a party that doesn't have good food. So, um, but yeah, the plan is we're going to have somebody take over cleaning duties. Of course, obviously nobody wants to do that. That's not fun at all. Uh, and because the place is so big, it's going to take pretty much all day to do. So, um, it, somebody has to volunteer. Well, nobody wants to volunteer. So, um, we decide to draw straws or well, uh, chopsticks. Yeah. Nagito decides to do the whole, you know, whoever whoever draws a chopstick with the red mark gets to get the duty kind of thing. Yeah. So it takes a bunch of chopsticks and, you know, kind of lets everyone take it. And, um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah. He, you know, everybody's pulling and kind of find out. And in the very end, uh, the person who's stuck with it is um, uh, Nagito himself. And he's like, well... I guess I'll do it. See, Nagito is is a very interesting character because he um he kind of just you know takes things in stride. He's very laid back. Seems very nice and supportive of what everyone wants to do as well. Yeah. Um. You know, just he's, just just a nice guy. And he's also kind of your guide to start. Yes, you know, he is. Getting walks you through walks you around the island. Yeah. So you kind of you kind of have an instant bond with him. Yeah. 
And uh, and that's one of the reasons why it reminded me of Makoto so much because he's kind of like, ah, you know, everything's okay. We we got this go. Almost like he's done this before. Yeah, he's very hopeful of everything. It's like you know, we're we're friends. You know, we everyone here is you know is like a nice person. Everything will work out. It'll be great. That's that's kind of the kind of person that he is, and he kind of supports what you're doing at all times. Uh, but at the same time, it's kind of weird that uh, he got the the duties of the cleaning because he's supposed to be the ultimate lucky student, right? Yeah. Like, why if he's if he's really lucky, why did he get such a you know lame job to get? But you know, well, that's something that just happens, I suppose. Yeah. So as this is going on throughout the day, he's over there cleaning and everything like that. Everybody's getting ready for the the big party. Um, and it, we get to the point where hey, it's time to go. Time to go to the party later on that night. Um, and the party started at 10 o'clock? Uh, something pretty late. Pretty yeah, late, it was yeah. late because he wanted to do like an all-nighter kind of thing. Um, so um, when we go to the party itself, um, Tagami's kind of there as the bouncer. <laughs> and he's like, okay, I need to uh, do a body check to make sure you don't have any weapons on you. And... He does a body check. Everybody's like, well, this is a little excessive, don't you think? And he's like, you can't be too careful. Yep. Um, he also has um, these two large boxes. Um, and he's finding any type of very – anything that could be used as a weapon, he's throwing them into a box, which he also keeps locked. Yeah, and only he has the access to the key as well. Yeah, yep. he and he's the only person with the key. So um, he brings um, – after checking everyone, there is one person who doesn't come to the uh, the party, and uh, that is uh, the Yakuza guy. Um, Fukuhiko. Uh, Fukuhiko. Yep. Uh, because, once again, he is an asshole owner who doesn't want to do anything with anybody. Um, so he doesn't show up to the party, and everybody's like, well, that's his loss. I mean, he obviously can't get killed if everybody's here. So – um uh when we get ready uh we have there's a in inside the cabin itself there is kind of like a banquet hall um there is also a bathroom a maintenance closet with multiple things uh we checked that place out not much really there um just kind of cluttered didn't and um uh, Nagito was kind of like I didn't have enough time to clean that area um, and then there's also the kitchen. Um, and, uh, that's where the ultimate cook is doing all of his special, uh, cooking for everybody. And he has this gigantic, just like, just smorgasbord of everything. Um, and, uh, so everybody's getting ready. Uh, they're, they're ready to start the, the party. Um, but to be safe, um, he wants people to kind of, be on lookout for certain things. Uh, so he wants somebody to kind of guard the entrance to make sure Monokuma doesn't show up, uh, keep everybody out kind of thing. So, um, Chikari, Chikai, Chiaki, Chiaki, Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. gamer girl. Um, (laughs) yeah, I'm going to start doing the nicknames again, though. I don't need to, because I need to learn these names. Um, she decides that, Hey, I'll, I'll go guard the front. Um, because you know she, I, I, at this point she's kind of antisocial. Yeah, she is a little bit. Um, 
And then he also wants somebody to kind of guard the weapons that he has put in the um, in the box, the lockbox. So he decides, or, or the um, the ultimate swordswoman decides, I will stay with them, and they move that box to um, it's like an office area. There's another room. It's like an office, and she said, I'll just take me a plate of food and we'll sit there and. Uh, I'll eat, and nobody will get any of the, the sharp objects to stab anybody with. So, cool. So begins the party. Um, and uh, everybody's seems to be having a good time. Um, the, uh, the ultimate gymnast is already chowing down on a lot of the food. Yeah. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, we hear a beep. And then the lights go out. Everybody starts freaking out. What the hell's going on? We hear uh, multiple people's voices. Um, and But the most important one is we hear Togami uh, basically saying, I think he says, what the hell? What is this? And then it goes silent. Uh, the other thing uh, that we hear, so there's multiple people we hear. We hear Ibuki. Um, we hear... Uh, the cook, Terra Terra. We hear there was one other person that we heard. I think it was it was um, the nurse because she falls um, whenever the lights go out, and when the lights come back on, um, obviously there is a sight to behold, which is the nurse falling over, pretty much spread eagle, with a plate on her privates. Uh, as is the case for any time that a normal person would fall, that's how that's how you would normally fall. Yeah, that's how that's how it always goes. Yeah, yeah, Artfully located. Yeah. Yes, yes, of course. Um, and so we're like, okay, that was fucking weird. And the, so the lights came back on. We're like, well, why did the lights go out? For one thing, who turned the lights back on? What had happened was was that um, the mechanic said that I'll go and try and find my way to the breaker, which should be in the office. Um, so he actually leaves the room, um, and the lights come back on, and we're like, well, okay, well, what's going on? Everybody okay? We don't know where Togami is. He's completely missing. So we decide to investigate. We go look everywhere. Um, we go into the, uh, the maintenance closet. Uh, when we're there, uh, we do notice something. There's, uh, three, Irons that are all kind of just sitting in a weird position. Uh, Nagito is with us, and he's like, "Yeah, I found those like plugged in. I don't know why, but I went ahead and unplugged them. Then want to you know burn the place down. Um, you know, he's not in any of the hallways. The bathroom is locked currently. Um, we know this because." Uh, the team manager really had to take a shit because he likes to yell shit a lot. <laughs> yes. Um, but he, he couldn't because somebody was in the bathroom. <laughs> um, and then when we go to the office, there's nobody there. Uh, so the swordsman is uh, gone. What's up? Not even Pecco, who's supposed to be there. Yeah. Yeah. So Pecco's not there, who was supposed to be guarding the weapons. We go outside. Gamer Girl's still there. And we're like, have you seen anybody? And she's like, no, nobody's left. Um, 
And so when we go back inside, we then go back to the banquet hall. Can't find Tagami anywhere. But then the ultimate gymnast is like, I smell something. And it's like, it smells like blood. And it says it's coming from this large table that has a tablecloth over it to where we can't see up under the table. When we open, when we remove the uh, tablecloth, we then find Togami laying in a pile of pooled blood, dead, completely dead. Yeah, pooled pink blood again. Yeah. Yep. So, um, he has been the first person to be killed. We then hear the announcement over the intercom saying a body has been found and the investigation has to begin. So, first thing I'm thinking is, damn, they killed the one character that I know. The <laughs> yep. first fucking, you know, case. Uh, the, the guy that survived the whole ordeal yeah. in the previous game dies immediately. Yeah. What a load of crap. Yep. So, and, and once again, they start that whole, oh, you know, you can't really trust anybody. Or, you know, don't put your faith in a lot of people because they're probably not going to be here. So, um, we begin the investigation. Uh, the first thing, obviously, we can check the body. Uh, he has five stab wounds in his chest and I think also in his neck. Mm, no, no, more than, more than five, like oh, was over it, ten. Oh, was over it over ten. ten? I thought it was like five. Yeah. Nope, over ten. Okay. So, um, he has a bunch of, he has multiple stab wounds in his chest and neck. Um, uh, the other thing we find is that there is actually like a hunter's knife, uh, laying on the ground next to him with blood all over it. Um, as paint well, on the handle. Yeah, there's and there's this green glowing paint on the handle. Uh, and also there is a piece of tape uh, on the the up part of the table um, that also has green glowing paint on it. And then the biggest thing that stands out is there's a pair of night vision goggles laying there. So obviously somebody has been to the supermarket. Um, after doing the investigation of the main part right there, uh, Monokuma always gives us a file telling us how the person kind of died and what time, around what time they died. Um, and yeah, sure enough, he, he died from being stabbed, uh, and died, uh, at around, um, the time of the blackout. So everything like that's established. Uh, we then have to get multiple people's accounts. Um, I know Ibuki's comes into play because she remembers, she remembers distinctly hearing people's voices because she's the ultimate musician, so she knows sounds. Um, we then, oh god, uh, the, the box, there's another box that, that Tagami had been standing next to during the entire party. Um, we, it is now opened. And we can look inside and see what he has. He has a lot of like equipment in there. But the biggest thing is, is that there is a case that holds night vision goggles. And it's empty. So, um, that's the big clue there. Um, oh crap, Jay, help me out. I can't. <laughs> I should well, have, I, I should have took notes. Things. I know. Yes, yeah, take notes for the next one. Yeah. Uh, so basically, you know, there's just a couple of investigation things. They're looking for um, all the stuff. That he 
investigates to under the table, looking for looking at his body, doing a basic autopsy, and they kind of say to talk to the nurse uh, Mikan and say like, hey, can you pro- can you provide like a, a rough autopsy and see you know his to his wounds and stuff like that, see how you know how he died and everything. They take a look at the the tape, the glow in the dark uh, paint tape on the table. They look at the glow in the uh, glow in the dark paint on the knife on on the floor. And uh, they go outside and they talk to Ibuki, who kind of basically tells you everything that happened during the, the blackout. She has very good hearing and a very good memory. And she's able to say, like, okay, this person said this first, this person said that. And, you know, you, you kind of went over that, Drew, about, like, who said what after what, you know? And that ends up being a, a very important uh, important hint on what might be happening. And they also go and... Um, they find out like the, where the circuit breakers and everything is. Yeah. You know, they see that the air conditioner was actually the air conditioner inside the uh, the office and the air conditioner inside the big uh, banquet area was actually both set to the exact same time, which is, is which is at eleven thirty. Yeah. Um, so it was just kind of set to turn on at that time. So it seems like uh, someone kind of manipulated. Uh, these objects and stuff like that in time ahead of time, along with the irons and stuff like that in the in the storage room. Um, let's see. Uh, there's uh, there's basically, you know, they try to get uh, some um, was it testimony with how like uh, talking about like they took go out to talk to Chiaki the gaming girl and they say like, well, did you see anyone come by? Did anyone come by here and uh, see? Uh, you know, try to see them like sneak around to be suspicious. And she said that the Yakuza guy actually came by and kind of, you know, kind of loitered or bowed, didn't go in, asked a couple of questions, and then left around the time of the of the murder. Yeah. And uh, they were talking about uh, how Pekka, where she might have been during the blackout as well. But that's just the thing. Like, whenever you go into a particular case in Danganronpa, you don't have all the facts most of the time. Yeah. And that is the case here. And, um, through deliberations of the facts and whatever else uh, information pops up, as uh, they kind of progress with the cases, um, uh, it'll it will we'll kind of touch upon them as we get there, uh, and then you know because like a tr- class trial is like a step by step case, so the 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 evidence that we gather at the beginning doesn't matter as much as when they decide to be useful be useful uh, during the case. So we can go straight into the case from here. Yeah, I, I thought there was one strange other piece of evidence though. Okay, when they. I forget who did it, but they drew a picture of where everybody was standing to try and get a lay of the land and, and yes. might have been near the table. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that all makes sense. Obviously, I think that that's a reasonable thing to do. But then they made a point of the, the lamp on top of the table. Uh, well, they made a point of the lamp on top of the table because the lamp was top of the table of where... Togami was murdered. Yeah. So henceforth, anything on that table, anything under it, is vital information to some degree. So I think that's why they did it. And the reason they, why they have that information is because the photographer girl actually took pictures. Yeah. Right before the blackout happened. So that's how they were able to make that diagram uh, and be very factual about it. Yeah. It's not everybody off was memory. standing at the current moment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, going into the class trial. So before we even get there, uh, the way we get to the class trial. Um, we have to go to Monokuma Rock, which is this uh, Mount Rushmore of Monokumas. How fucking ridiculous! But um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, an escalator comes out of one of the mouths of Monokuma, and we have to ride the escalator. And then part of the statue actually goes down 
into the island, and it's actually an elevator that takes us to where we hold the glass draws. Very, very elaborate. Yes. <laughs> Which they've actually mentioned that a couple of times. I think even Monokuma mentions it here because we, we kind of speculated, like, who has the money to do this? Yeah. All this nonsense and stuff like that, like, not only are we finding it ridiculous, so is the player character and many of the other characters present in the situation. So they are acknowledging it. This is not something that happens and say, like, oh, okay, then. Everyone says, like, what the fuck? What the hell? Ah, they're freaking out. And all sorts of weird things are happening. So our reactions kind of coincide with the reactions of the characters, which make them a bit more believable yeah. in spite of all this nonsense. So, but yeah. Um, so. At the beginning of the class trial, what we have to determine is uh, there was other another piece of evidence that we forgot to mention was that um, Gundam had his special mm. ring that he e- earrings yeah, earrings yeah. earrings yeah he had earrings that uh, one of them he dropped and it fell in between the floorboards of the uh, of the building itself and he's like I have no idea how to get down there to get them but he's got to get them. Um, and so when we go to do the class trial, we run back into Gundam and he's got his earring back. And so like, okay, well, how'd you get it? You obviously had to find a way to get up under the building and he doesn't really suggest anything. Doesn't tell us anything, Mm -hmm. but there is obviously a way to get under the floorboards, which is a very vital piece of information. So, um, to begin the class trial, we have to figure out a how exactly he died. We know we know what killed him, but we don't know how. Um, as well as what actually transpired uh, during that time. Like I, I don't even know how long the blackout was supposed to last. Like thirty, forty seconds at the most. Or was the blackout was pretty short. Pretty yeah. short. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Um, God, what, I can't even remember what we established first. The the uh, the, the big thing is that uh, the first thing they start out was the murder took place during the blackout, right? Yeah. And they they basically deliberated like, okay, there was a blackout, but you know, how did Togami uh, get under the table? Like, how did he see? Like, why? What made him go under the table and things like that? So they basically established like Togami was able to see. He was prepared for basically any situation. That's why he had the case next to him. So immediately when the blackout hit, he opened the case that you know he was standing right next to uh, for this kind of very reason. Opened the case, put on his night vision goggles, and saw that there was something going on. And uh, you know because of the glowing paint under the table, he was able to see that someone was maybe trying to get to the knife that was kind of already placed ahead of time. Right. So at this point, they're saying like, well, clearly whoever caused the blackout must be the murderer. Because obviously the the blackout must have been premeditated, and if they premeditated the blackout was the moment of uh, opportunity for the kill, then they use that you know that person must be the murderer. So now they go into say like, okay who could have passed, uh, who could have caused the blackout? So they say like okay the only person that was missing was Terutero in the kitchen, and uh, also Peko Pekomar, the ultimate uh, swordswoman. Yeah. And they say, like, well, where were you? And she's like, ah, I don't really want to. And then it's basically established that she was in the bathroom uh, taking, uh, taking a shit because her stomach was, was in pain. And, you know, as, as being a delicate woman that she is, she didn't, she didn't want to say that she was in the bathroom taking a shit. So she didn't want to say it. But they kind of come to an understanding. 
But so they say like, well, maybe the killer uh, poisoned her with like some kind of laxative so that she would go to the bathroom so that they could go to that room to, you know, use that breaker to turn off the power. But they say that, well, the, the food wasn't poisoned because Akane and some other people also had the food and they're perfectly fine. Yeah. And so, ate more than anyone else would have. Yeah, yeah. She she basically ate like an entire platter full by herself. So on, and she's fine. On top of that, the breaker where it was situated, you had mm-hmm. to have some kind of – there was no way to reach it from where it was. Yeah, you needed a ladder or something like that. It was too high up there. Yeah. Um. So they're like, oh, okay, so if no one touched the breaker, was there uh, another possible way that the power could have been, uh, you know, their, the power outage could have been used remotely? So they bring up things like, well, yeah, it's possible because all the irons that's plugged in in the storage room, they were previously on. And because of the air conditioner that was set at the same time, they could exactly pinpoint when the power would go out. Because as you know, air conditions, especially when they're being turned on, takes a tremendous amount of energy, and so do iron, things like irons and microwaves. Yeah. So they knew that the power uh, the, the power outage would happen in that very situation. So they say basically, um, well, how who could have you know who could have been the person that set the uh, uh, the the clocks on the air conditioner? And basically, anyone could have done it, right? Like anyone could have just gone onto the storage room. Plugged in a bunch of irons, went to the air conditioner, made it turn on at a specific time. Because no one was watching these rooms at all times. Because anyone could be the the person who started the power outage. Um, so they say, like, well, let's look at it from a different perspective. Um, how uh, how would you use the power outage, right? Like, after the power outage happened, how would you go about getting to the knife under the table? Because the glow and the paint... Uh, wouldn't be um, readily apparent to you because the the tablecloth would be covering it. So you would be in the dark as well. You would have no idea where you are. So they say like, well, there is one way, one single way they could have used in order to get to that one table without issue. And that was the the desk lamp that was that was on top. The power cable connecting to, to the wall. So all you would have to do is reach toward the power cable and follow that line to where the lamp is and the table would be right under it. Yep. Yeah, that was the part I I thought was kind of interesting because it was almost like, you know, when we get to the end of these uh, investigations and they've got the key phrases are in a different color, usually yellow. Yeah. Right. When when they were discussing that drawing, she went out of her way to, like, mention, oh, somebody said, like, what is this line? They're like, oh, I just drew, that's like the power cord going to the wall. And then, like, they actually made a mention earlier, say, you know, that this might be more important than it looks like. It might be a clue, which, you know, I kind of like as a verbal, almost like a verbal highlight of, hey, remember. Exactly, because it seems like a very small detail. And when you actually, uh, the way the game makes you point things out is that you have to actually point at the thing that could be used, right? So you would either have to point at the lamp itself or the cord coming on the bottom right. And the objects are pretty small. You can miss them pretty easily. So if you keep choosing like the wrong spot, you'll keep losing some of your like uh, life points, basically what it is, and then you get a game over. So the game doesn't want to be too obscure. They want to make it clear what what are what's important and what's not, kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, that's one of the things. And they say, well, let's look at the diagram and see who was closest to the lamp and who was closest to the lamp power line. And it turns out it was Nagito himself, the Mister Mister Ultimate Lucky Student. Yeah. 
also makes sense. Uh, this this because, nice guy who has been kind of guiding you. Yeah, but it also makes sense at the same time that he had been in that building all day. Yes, he's the one that actually had access to the building the whole entire day by himself just cleaning it. So he would have had the easiest time looking not only through what he could be using, but also had the time to set up all these things like, for example, the the paint of the knife on the table with the tape or the irons in the in the room and the air conditioners. Uh, so it's basically how, how it goes. And um, at this point, there is a shift in this guy. Yeah, because once we first met this guy, he was he was basically our best friend. Yeah, you know. He's very cheerful, very supportive, very nice, and you know, he kind of guided you towards the island and kind of had you uh, helped you introduce yourself to all the other students. And we became kind of reliant on this guy. And not only that, as I have said previously, he is his uh, character design looks very similar to the main character of the first game. Yeah, his voice actor is also the same. So they lull you into this idea that this person is your ally yeah. this person is your friend but at this point he it, it turns out that he is not oh. and he his 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 very like demeanor and persona changes he seems very maniacal he seems like a fanatic seems like a crazy person um and he talks about like he's obsessed with the idea of hope defeating despair and thinking like uh, you know like all these things like all these bad things can happen to you guys, but you guys are so talented and amazing that these bad things will only make you guys better, yeah. make you guys shine even brighter. And that's what he says. It seems like a crazy thing to say, but he believes it. Um, so at this point, they're like, okay, fine. Yeah, he's the he's the killer. He's the one that planted the knife. He's the one that set up the power outage to happen. And um, so let's just vote this guy in, and then we're done with the case. Real easy, right? Yeah, very simple for the first case, huh? But there's there's a few issues there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one being is that he was still in the room with us whenever the lights came back on. And obviously, with that amount of blood, there would have to be blood splatter all over him, right? He's completely clean. There's no blood yep. on him whatsoever. So that doesn't make sense. On top of that... If we remember, the ultimate nurse gave us an autopsy report which said that he was stabbed multiple times with a specific type of blade. A blade that was only about 5 centimeters in diameter, which is a very, very thin blade rather than that large hunting knife that was we thought was used uh, to murder uh, Tagami. So that kind of doesn't fit the bill exactly. Uh, I think I think five centimeters is too big. I think you mean maybe five millimeters. Uh, uh, that was a five millimeters, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Five yeah. centimeters is pretty huge. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know. Standard motherfuckers. <laughs> I'm a yard. I'm, I'm a yard man. I'm sorry, Mister American. I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, so um, so obviously that knife was not used to kill Tagami. Yep. So the murder weapon still remains unfound. Yeah. And we still can't figure out how he did this without getting blood all over him. So, um, what then shifts? I mean, we we start figuring out what could the murder weapon be, um, which we then remember that um, the cook uh, was originally going to use these uh, type of like um, shish kebab skewers. Mm-hmm. 
uh, to uh, serve uh, some food. Well, and- well, first of all, uh, they were talking about um, like if the if the killing didn't take place uh, where you know where it did. Basically, the his body was found underneath the table, right? Yeah. But they're saying that the killer himself was not underneath the table, but at the same time was underneath the table. And they're like, what do you mean by that exactly? They say, because if the killer was underneath the table, then by the time the lights came out, we would have discovered the person, he would have been covered in blood. But the only other place where the these uh, these penetration marks on the in the victim's body could have taken place was underneath the floorboards, yeah. between the gaps of this uh, this wooden wooden thing wooden building basically. Yeah. So they start basically saying like, okay, so it must be then someone that was not within the room themselves. Right. So the only ones that doesn't have an alibi at this point is the ultimate yakuza, Mister uh, Fuyuhiko. And um, but but at the same time, it says uh, Chiaki, the gamer girl, actually says, uh, "Well, actually, I saw him right before the murder took place. Uh, you know, he was kind of loitering about, asking questions, so it couldn't have been him." So they're saying like, "Well, then, there's no one that could have done it. You know, everyone is basically accounted for. You know, the uh, everyone everyone has an alibi of some sort." So they decide to try to think like, "Well, what's what's another possibility that could have happened?" And uh, uh, go ahead, continue on. The uh, well, does Nagito actually tell them everybody that? I mean, does he kind of come clean at that uh, point? Not, not, not at this point. Okay. He just kind of, kind of like plays dumb. Basically, yeah. he's like, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. So um, they decided that it had to have been somebody who was obviously came from under the floorboards, but we have somebody who we know came from under the floorboards, which was Gundam. Because we remember, Gundam, you dropped your earring, uh, you know, and fell through the floorboards. How the hell did you get it? He's like, well, I found a way. There was a, um, kind of like a trap door in the, uh, the maintenance closet. That's where I found a way to get up under the house, basically. And, um, so... Somebody could have got access to that trap door, went up under the uh, the floorboards, and then stabbed him through the floorboards. But the question remains, like, if it's pitch black, right? And how would anyone have gotten to the storeroom to got underneath uh, the, the floorboards? They would not have been able to maneuver around uh, the corridors and the building uh, to get to the right room, never, nevertheless, like open the room and all that stuff, so that would be very difficult. Yeah. And no one seems like they had a light source. No one has like a flashlight or anything like that. Because if you remember, um, Togami first everybody. He took everything that they had, you know, that wasn't completely necessary to them, and just took it away from them. So no one had anything like a like a light source at all. Right. Well, that's when we start looking into what could have been used as a light source, which we found. Uh, one single thing, which was a um, a portable stove that uh, uses its own battery, uh, which was stored in the kitchen itself. Um, the only thing is, is like how the hell could somebody? Because there was two people who were out in the hallway when the blackout happened. Um, how could they have walked, you know, through the hallway without them seeing some type of a light source? Which we then deduct, hey, 
there is kind of like a fire door. What happened is that they weren't they weren't in the hallway to begin with. Some but some people left the the banquet hall and went into the hallway during the blackout. Yeah. Right. So you know there there was no light that they could have seen yeah. uh, when they went out there themselves. Yeah, but somebody obviously had to use the fire door to mask the uh, the light source. So from the from the other side of the corridor where the kitchen and the storage room is. In. Yeah. So. Um, we're thinking, well, who the hell could it have been? I mean, it can't be the cook because he was in the room with us. If you remember correctly, hey, the uh, ultimate musician says that she remembers hearing the cook say something in the room. Is a, he says uh, what he said was basically like, well, is is the blackout also going on going on over here, guys? So he heard she heard his voice as well during the blackout. Yeah. So. Um, Good God. But where where do I go time, from there? Yeah. <laughs> no, but at the same time, but let's say if he was truly underneath the floorboards, if he were to have yelled, that would have sounded exactly like if he were in the room himself. That's true. So whether or not he made that sound and made it seem like he was in the room via the voice that you know he, he, he screamed out doesn't actually give him an alibi at all, in fact. So it turns out it, it looks like he's the, he's the murderer. He's the only one that had access to the portable stove, uh, you know, in the kitchen. He was the only person near the storage area uh, at the same time. So the only thing remains is that, well, we also actually, actually we also one found uh, that there was a bloody sheet. Yeah, uh, in the storage room as well, uh, yeah. like, like covered with uh, Togami's blood, that was kind of discarded after the the deed was done. It seemed like, but we don't know where the murder weapon that he used to kill him with was. It needed to be small enough that it would fit between the gaps of a floor, so a very very tiny blade of some kind. And they say like, well, he didn't throw it out anywhere. He couldn't have gotten anywhere with it, you know. So they say it must be hidden somewhere inside this building. Yeah, and uh, they, at this point they say, "Well, the only place that we haven't looked is actually inside of the food themselves." And it come, it turns out that one of the iron skewers that you use to kind of you know poke and uh, well, kind of like, like a shish kebab kind of thing, right? So one of the blades was actually unaccounted for and missing when uh, Togami was looking through the inventory of the kitchen equipment, and they find that. Embedded into the giant uh, meat on a bone, and the 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 edge of the blade kind of looks like a bones, kind of like a bone of a meat kind of thing. Yeah. So it was kind of very obscured. And when they removed the blade, they noticed that you know it's that's the that's the very weapon that was used, kind of basically cementing the fact that Mister Terotero, the ultimate cook himself, was the murderer. Yeah. So um, then we obviously. Through the game itself, we have to piece that together with the uh, comic book scene, yeah. um, which really simple. Which the, we did forget one thing uh, to mention, okay. which was um, during the investigation, we actually went to Togami's room, his cottage. Oh yes, 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 and found a note saying that the killings are going to start tonight, kind of thing. And yeah, the, so kind of a kind of a warning kind of thing. Yeah, and that's kind of what made him proactive as 
bringing all this equipment with him and putting all the weapons away and even holding the the kind of, even holding the party which was all set up by uh lucky student uh mr nagito yes nagito yeah so what happens is is that nagito had set up everything he had planned on killing somebody that night um he was the one who had the knife he put it taped it to the uh the bottom of the table he knew where to stand he uh had everything planned out he set it to where the power would surge the power would go out um and that was what his plan was to basically kick start this game um but come to find out the ultimate cook found out about this um he noticed um nagito doing this stuff like because he was getting prepared in the kitchen cooking and everything like that he noticed them with the knife putting it up and he saw what he was doing so he said i gotta stop this from happening so that's when he decides to go under the floorboards actually uh first of all he confronts him about it like directly uh but what nagito says to him is that well you can stop me here today but that's not going to stop me i'm going to keep trying I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to try tomorrow, the day after, no matter how much it takes to kickstart this whole thing. Yeah. He has, he's completely and utterly determined to kickstart the murderers and basically start a tribulation for these people, these people that he admires. And the thing about Nagito is that one thing I'll tell you is that he is um, just bona fide crazy. Yeah. He's, he's completely and utterly insane and deplorable in a lot of ways. But in his own mind and in his own logic, it makes sense because what he believes is, is, is in this power of hope of these students, these exceptional human beings that are going to be, become the new foundations of the world, the new leaders and everyone and guide everyone to a better future. And he believes in these people so much to the point that he states things that anything that happens to them, they will be able to overcome. And by overcoming difficult obstacles, they will become even stronger, even better, better hopes, basically, kind of like shining in the darkness kind of deal. And the analogy that he makes, I think, which was kind of apt is that let's say you have a favorite boxer, right? Uh, do you want to see your favorite boxer just beating down on like weak opponents that poses no challenges at all? That, that, that would make that person become stagnant and weaker over time. But wouldn't you rather want to see your favorite boxer take on someone of incredible challenge, you know, the very, very formidable opponent and see them grow even more? Wouldn't that be like a, a very interesting, a better, a better thing to be uh, seeing? So that's how what he believes for these people. So he doesn't sit. He doesn't want to kill someone because he hates them. He wants to kill someone because he loves the group as a whole so much and believes in them to the degree where he wants to become a stepping stone for them to become better in, yeah. in, the, in the scale of things. And like I said, like it makes sense in a really dark, twisted way. It makes sense if you truly believe in something to always be able to persevere regardless of the trials. Then the harsher the trials, the stronger they become, the better they are. So that's what he wants to be. And this 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 whole point of him, you know, being all nice and stuff like that wasn't him lying, wasn't him being someone else. That's just another aspect of himself. 
you know? Yeah. So he's not a two-faced guy. He just believes in one thing too much. He's obsessed. So and, do, does that logic make sense, though? I mean, by his desire. So knowing what we know from the end of the first game, is that what he wants to build these ultimates up for? Yes. Uh, essentially, the thing about it is that, like... Um, the stronger the despair, the greater the hope, is what he says, right? So what ends up happening in the first game is that Makoto Naigi becomes the ultimate hope, right? He evolves through the course of the, the trials and everything that everything terrible that happens with his friends dying, you know, his love interest being killed off at the very beginning and all these dark things that happen to him. But ultimately, he becomes the light that'll, that'll basically shine upon the rest of the world. And he wants to bring that bring that to another point you know he wants to see these people that he he also admires and loves and he doesn't feel like he belongs because he believes his talent of luck to be something completely insignificant because to be, to him it's not a it's not a talent at all it's just something that he's you know he just has and he doesn't really like at all so he just kind of sees this as an opportunity to do so and as long as he truly believes and he does that they will persevere and win in the end yeah it makes sense. It's, but, it's twisted, but it makes sense. But by the rules of the game, only does he care who wins? Because you're saying he loves everybody, but if one person wins, everybody else dies, right? Yes, but that person's hope would be the one to have one over everyone else's hope. You know what I mean? That person would be the ultimate of the bunch. So, so who wins as long as somebody wins? As long as someone wins and that person is worthy of it kind of thing. So as long as, you know, he, he wanted to help the, the killer and he goes on to say that, well, if anyone else wants to kill someone, let me know and I'll help you. I'll try to help you succeed, you know, and it sounds like a, it sounds like a madman's rambling, but it's 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 twisted. And the thing about it is that his mentality mirrors that of uh, Miss Junko Inoshima, the, the villain of the first game yeah. and her obsession with despair. At the end of the game, she loses. She loses everything. She dies, but she wins because that's what she wanted to taste all along, the ultimate despair. And it's kind of like the opposite end of that, yeah. where she wanted to face and become the ultimate despair herself by experiencing it, where she had all this meticulous planning and everything out that she's been planning for years upon years to the point where she killed her own sister to accomplish. And everything falls apart like a stack of dominoes. She revels in that moment where she dies. And Nikoto is the same way in a different light, in the completely polar opposite. Fucking insane. Yeah, it's fucking bonkers. And you have no idea this is coming as well because the developers go out of their way to make this guy seem like your ally. Yeah. Seem like this hope, you know, he's this, his mirror entity of the first protagonist being the same voice actor, same kind of design and everything and the things that he says. And then at the end of the very first case, he reveals himself to be basically the main antagonist of this of this unstoppable force to some nature yeah. and how how the group deals with him in particular is going to be a, a a very interesting thing to watch so yeah but the biggest take back from this is that the cook didn't want to kill anybody he wanted to make sure nobody got killed he wanted to make sure that everybody was safe and in order to do that he needed to kill you know 
Nikita, who who seemed to be obviously a crazy person. Oh yeah, that's. I mean, yeah. yeah he he. In order to save people, he had to kill somebody. Yeah. So um, was Nagito originally trying to kill anyone in particular? No, he was kill. He was trying to kill Nagito and Nagito only. The reason why uh, Tugami was killed is because he pushed Nagito out of the way. Yeah. Right, right. before right who, before the blaze came up. Who was Nagito trying to kill? Nagito was uh, trying to kill anybody. It didn't matter to him. Yeah. He was trying to just jumpstart the trials and tribulations that would become a stepping stone for these people to become greater. Yeah. So he saw, like, that was the thing, was that Tagami saw everything because he had the night vision goggles on. Um, and I guess he saw that somebody was trying to kill him. So he pushed him well, out of the way. He would have seen Nagito going under the table. Yeah, and you know, like, uh, with the night vision goggles, he would have also been able to see through the gaps that there was someone there as well. Uh, so it's implied that uh, uh, Togami actually pushed uh, Nagito out of the way because he saw that uh, that th- there was someone underneath the floorboards about to try, try to kill somebody. So in, yeah. his, in his own way, he tried to fulfill his promise that he didn't want anyone to become victims. And he took the, the, the you know, he became a victim himself in that regard. Yeah. So how was the blade covered with blood then? Well, the the hole underneath the table was covered with blood, if you remember, and the the blade was right next to him. The he, Togami kind of like you know tried to try to rip the blade off so it couldn't be used as well, and then the 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 uh, the, the thing underneath uh, got him basically. So maybe it was kind of his last ditch effort to maybe grab onto the blade so it couldn't be used any other way, but either way it must have fallen out of his hands and. Uh, Everything basically underneath the table was covered in blood, including the blade. So, we found out who killed Togami, even though it was an accident. He still killed but at somebody. The, but at the same time, you know, accident or not, if he had gotten away with it, and that seemed to be his goal, right? Yeah. That would have meant that everyone else, except for he, died. Yeah. So this is not an innocent crime. It is true that he meant to kill Nagito and kill Tagami by accident, but the fact that he tried to get away with it remains true. Yeah. Which means he would have condemned everyone else to death, and there is a reason for that. Yeah, because he um he wanted to get back to his mother. Because he knew that um their business was failing and he wanted to uh make sure his mom was okay. She was, um, he's basically an only child, doesn't yeah. have a father, you know, very, loves his mother dearly, and she was taking care of the restaurant, and his goals and ambitions, as, 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 uh, as much of a pervert and kind of a weirdo that he is, what he wanted to do was he wanted to become an accomplished chef, right? Yeah. And he wanted to bring all that talent and prestige to his place, which is like a very small diner back in this like kind of like backwards country uh, area of, of Japan. So he was doing it for his mom, and he was told that he's been missing for four years. Yeah, you you don't know what could have happened on the outside. Like maybe she would she could have gone bankrupt. Maybe she could have died. Maybe something even more terrible could have happened, and he didn't know. And even though he didn't want to believe it, in the back of his mind, he he did. He, he believed it more than anyone else, and that's what kind of led him to become so desperate that he would want to let everyone else die just so that he could leave. Yeah. Uh, yeah, to, to, to be with his mother again, to make sure she's all right. So, we uh, everyone cast their vote. 
and he is sent to be executed. So, <laughs> just in the same monocular fashion, mm-hmm. uh, they die in ridiculous ways. He shoots him with batter. And from a from from a from an attack helicopter. Yeah, from an t- attack chopper. Uh and then grabs a hold of him and dips him into a volcano. A volcano <laughs> filled with oil, yeah. Cooking oil. Yep. And uh makes a deep fried uh Yeah, he makes a tempura out of his ass. <laughs> uh and that is unfortunately the end of the cl- class trial and um where we stop. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's the stopping point for this episode. But before we actually conclude, I do have some questions for you, gentlemen. Oh God, yeah, I that can, hear, will, you, I can will... hear you rustling a paper, which means you've yes, prepared indeed. these for us. Man, I have four pages of notes for this episode. Oh Jesus, I'm always very notes. prepared. Yeah, you take notes next time, Drew. Help me out here. All right. Uh, okay. So my first question so far is, um, what do you think the countdown is? That giant ominous countdown in the middle of the park. What do you think that is, and what do you think will happen when the countdown goes to zero? Final Jeopardy. Yes. <laughs> um, I'll go out on a limb because mm-hmm. it, this sounds like something Monokuma would do. I have a feeling uh, when that countdown ends, uh, a way to leave the island appears. Okay, way to leave. Interesting, interesting. Uh, Mr. Mr. Matthew? Uh, I think it's going to be, and this is based sort of on on the revelation that you guys had talked about in the first game, that this is all being broadcast. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think it's going to go into like a final round of the game, and maybe at that point there's five or six or seven people left, and I mm. think I say the rules have changed. Oh, interesting. Okay. Now the anti, you know, everything's like pushed into high gear and maybe, maybe you've got now like 12 hours or 24 hours or something. And, and, uh, you know, anybody who doesn't do something in that time period, everybody dies. Interesting. So just like you said, like final jeopardy, the rules have changed. The pressure is on, right? Right. Very cool. Uh, I'm writing these things down so we can refer to them back later when we do get the facts. Okay. Uh, uh, another question is: So far, who is your favorite character? That's not your main. That's not the main character right now. Who's your favorite character so far? Um, gamer girl for me. Okay. Uh, I'm still torn between my two my two strong leads of. Well, I guess if I have to pick one, I'm gonna go with. Pecco. Pecco? Okay, okay, very cool. Uh, and the last question is... Three characters that will survive till the end of the game. I want you to give me three names of the characters, not including the main character. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Man... Um, Drew, if you want to go ahead and like look at the characters again and uh, say them off for Matt and yourself, knock yourself out. Okay. Um, let's see what we got here. So we have uh, Nagito. Uh, okay. No, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm just. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're talking about the. Type yeah, of the I'm, I'm just naming the people. 
Uh, we have Nagito. We have uh, the Gamer Girl, which is uh, Chiaki. Um, we have the um, the Yakuza guy. We have uh, the musician. We have Ibuki. The, uh-huh. um, we have the mechanic. We have uh, Gundam, which is the breeder. We have uh, Mikan, which is the nurse. We have uh, Hiyoko, the traditional dancer. Akane, the gymnast. Uh, Nekumaru, the uh, ultimate team manager. Sonya, never mind, which is the princess. Mahiryu, um, which is the photographer. And Pico, which is the ultimate swordswoman. Okay, so three characters that you think will survive till the end of the game, well, before the credits roll. Uh, Matt, why don't you go first? <laughs> uh, well, one I think is going to survive is Hiyoko. Hiyoko, the little girl dancer? Yeah, because okay. she's so annoying and so hateful right now. <laughs> <laughs> Very very nice. You know, they kind of want to keep that one hateful character, make everything interesting. I okay. think they're going to keep her hateful until she has, like, character growth. You find something out about her, and then she'll become less hateful at the end and survive. Okay, very cool. Two more, please. Um, maybe Chiaki? Chiaki, okay. Uh, your reasoning? Because so far, well, so basically I just kind of picked her at random out of a group of three because I think one of the really quiet ones, either Mahiru, the princess, or Chiaki. Okay. One of those three as one of the quiet characters that's going to kind of stay in the background. You're not going to know about them really, and then they're going to become more important sort of Partway through the game. Gotcha. And the last one. That, I thought the story mm-hmm. didn't it? No, I'd say not including the main character. No. Uh, I'll go Nekomaru. Nekomaru. And hope that one of the characters I like survives. Gotcha. Okay, Drew? Uh, I think Akane will. Akane? I think Chiaki will. And... Gundam. Gundam, okay. So what's your reasoning for these characters? Gundam is just because he's just so random, but I actually think he's a good guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, he acts stupid, but I think he's he he's deep down I don't think he'd hurt anybody. Which may get him killed. Um Akane because I don't think It'd be really hard to kill her. <laughs> <laughs> so why did you say that she's going to survive then? Uh, it will. It'd be really hard to kill her. But on top of that, I don't think she would hurt anybody. Okay. Well, I mean, you don't have to be willing to hurt anyone to be a victim yourself, right? This is true. Um, and then I think um, Chiaki because I- I've got to know her a little bit more. Which, mm-hmm. I mean, this game fucks with you constantly like that. But um, I've gotten to get her know, know her a little bit more. And, I mean, full disclosure, I have played a case after this. 
it's I th- I think I could be wrong, but I'm having I'm having kind of comparisons between her and the ultimate detective in the first game. Kyoko Kirigiri. There you go, Kirigiri. Yeah. I'm having a lot of comparisons between those two characters. I can see why, and uh, it's already apparent in the first case. She's the one that kind of guides a lot of your reasoning to the yeah. right direction as well. When you're kind of grasping at straws, right. she'll point something out. She's the one that actually pointed out the diagram uh, during that part with the, the lamp and the, and the power cable as well, along with certain other uh, clues. And um, as we'll continue to see, uh, she, she like like you said, I, I do believe you know she is an asset to some degree. Yeah. So okay, so we have some very interesting answers, and we're gonna get the answer to some of these before the end of the game, and some obviously we're gonna have to wait till the end. But uh, we're gonna look back on these answers, and we're gonna have a good time laughing about them. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's it's gonna it's gonna be a good time all around. That's that's the best thing I can say is like I remember distinctly saying. When on the final episode of the first game, I was like, I can't believe half these fucking people survived. So a fucking serial killer survives. This big <laughs> yep. fucking asshole survives. This moron of a guy who thinks he's a psychic who is really not. Mm-hmm. And then a swimmer girl who's kind of a stupid idiot. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, all these, the most unlikely people survive. Yep. You know, and I was just like, what the crap, you know, <laughs> and like they're supposed to go out into the world and see what's actually out there. If Monokuma was telling the truth or not about has the world really ended? Uh, that's something that we'll be able to revisit as well. And the thing about this game is that without spoiling anything in particular, um, even though it looks like it's completely removed from the first game in every single aspect. There are connections to it more than just obviously being, you know, Togami being in the in the thing. And how shocked were you when you found Togami dead, Drew? I was like, you know, I was halfway expecting it. Because oh, were you? Okay, okay. I was expecting it because I know how they did the first game. They set up a love interest. I'm talking. See, this game moves a lot faster than the first game was, in my opinion. Um, uh, because the first game, man, they established characters. I'm talking like there was like three or four free days of doing whatever you want with these characters before people started getting killed. And they set up these characters really well. I mean, they set up the love interest, the character that you've known since you were in like middle school, and then she's the first person to get killed. Not only that, she was actually trying to kill somebody when she got killed. And I was just like, what the fuck, man? I mean, like, they, they, they just, they send you on a path and they say, that's not the path you're really going down. Yep. And I was like, I was like, shit, they already killed the one character I know in this game. You know? And I actually, like, it, toward the end of the game, I actually liked Togami a lot of the first game. Yeah. Yeah, he, he has a really good character development arc during the first game. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like you're happy to see a familiar face, even if it's a fatter face. Yeah. And then you're like, Oh man, yeah, he's here. Okay, this is interesting. Maybe he can actually get out of the situation along and then it's like he's dead. Yeah. He's immediately killed off and he's like, Fuck And doesn't get and doesn't we won't ever have any time to talk to him about No his experiences in the past if he does remember any of it. Even if yeah. you took basically every opportunity to talk to him, I don't think it's enough times to really get a good idea. Yeah. To which, I, when I first realized he was in the game, because I didn't know he was in the game until I booted the game up. 
And I was like, wait a minute. Is this secretly a prequel and I don't know about it? <laughs> and then I was like, well, no, no, it's not because he's dead now. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's, uh, I don't know. But, uh, but at the same time, I, I feel like me and Drew have been talking way too much. We're sorry, we're sorry, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we really, we really took the reins on this one. So what I want to do is I want to get like your thoughts about the game as a whole after just playing through the first case and kind of like your expectations about it and what you like and what you don't like about it. Yeah, I feel like my my impressions are generally a bit more positive than from playing an equal amount of the first game. Okay. Uh, I, I felt like it did the way it doesn't let you leave the rooms. Uh, as you already mentioned, I think that it, uh, there's less of a chance of really getting stuck. Uh, so that, that part of it I liked. Uh, I, I do like the characters. I think they're interesting. I'm not sure about how much I like the fact that there seems like there's less rules to this world mm-hmm. with the bears popping up and clearly things popping like escalators popping out of the mountain that just seems even a bit more absurd a bit more ridiculous than the stuff in the first game right um not to say i don't like it i'm just intrigued as to whether it you know, whether, is, whether whether they'll have a satisfying answer to why this is possible or not right yeah Exactly. Just keep that in the back of your mind. Just just look for the answers and piece together what might be. Kind of like try to formulate a plan and theory inside your own mind about kind of like the way Drew did with the whole them being dead and this and like purgatory kind of business. Uh, and once you formulate an idea, it might be true, it might not be, but try to piece together all the evidences that pop up along the way, and then you'll have a you'll have a good time with that. <laughs> well. Like I said before, I've already done the second case, and I already have a theory brewing. Well, we're gonna have to wait for the wait for that next next episode, Drew. I'm yeah, afraid. I know. I yeah, know. yeah. The, the, we find we you find something in the next case that I'm like, holy <laughs> shit! And I was oh. like, and I was like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> it's, it's it's already, dude. That's all. Just that's just just the second case. Uh, and uh, continue on, Matt. Uh. And I was going to say, I really agree, agree with Drew that the game so far has moved so much faster. You're right. In And I, I would say in a good way, but but I, I'm always torn a little bit when I, when I think about pacing because I think for me it has as much to do with the way I play it as it does the game itself. So right. this game I played in two or three sessions of, you know, up, up to three hours at a time. And the first game, I was really playing more in, like, 15-minute chunks. So when I would pick it up a, a day later or two days later, I had no idea what was going on. Uh-huh, and I see. it was really hard to, like, follow any threads. And it, it just wasn't really the way to play the game. And I really like the idea of, Drew, and, and what you said in one of last year's episodes, is you woke up on, like, a Saturday morning and played a whole case yeah. start to finish sitting. I almost yeah. feel like that's the way you could play a game like this because you do – you can keep more of those things in your head and, and and have plans instead of, you know, just kind of picking it up and being like, I'm just trying to progress, but I'm not as actively mentally engaged in the cases. So I may try to do a bit more of that and maybe just save a lot of this for the weekends yeah. and then just try and sit down until I, you know, put four hours at a time into it if I can. That's, yeah, that's a that's great mentality. I think that's the perfect way to play this game. That's that's the that's the the real the testament to the first game was just how a I had to play it on my television because I'm playing on the PlayStation TV 
Um, so I would say, all right, this is this is going to be a, a play session. And then on top of that, just how fucking compelling that game was. I was like, yeah. I I want to sit down and play this, you know. And it, there's been plenty of times. I mean, hell, fucking Final Fantasy 15. I'm playing that right now, and yeah, I'll play maybe like an hour of it and feel like I've progressed almost none. But if I sit down and play an hour of Danganronpa, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm establishing characters, I'm learning about the case, investigating stuff like that, and I'm getting stuff done. And the the way it is paced and, pro- and progress that way just makes for a better game experience. And I think um, I can't wait to see what happens. I just I'm so we're, fucking ready. We're we're in for a hell of a ride, gentlemen. Yeah. I'll I'll say you when I reviewed the first game and the second game, um I didn't think Matt, you, you heard us you listened to the podcast and heard how elaborate and bonkers these cases can get near the end. Yeah. Yep. That one where it happened on multiple floors and there was mm-hmm. two accomplices, but then one person was trying to cover it up and they weren't even part of the murder. And I was just, oh my God, I can't even, how are we supposed to talk about this? You know, <laughs> this game goes even further and not in the way where it becomes too convoluted to follow, but it just gets deeper and darker. And that's what I loved about this game over the original. Like I would say that the original is untouchable because it's the original. It's the one that set up the formula. You know, it's the it's a Shiva Mario 64 among 3D platformers uh, for that kind of storytelling. But the second game just does something else. It's something. It's not something like it's it's gonna ratchet up the explosions to make things more dramatic. It's not that way at all. But it takes a different approach to a lot of the cases that you just don't see coming. And there is one particular moment within Danganronpa 2 that I firmly believe that I will never forget until I die. That's how impactful it was when it hit me. And the funny thing is, if you ever talk to anyone that's also played Danganronpa 2 to completion, and you say that moment, they'll know which one you're talking about. So you have that to look forward to. So uh, we, we we have a lot of fun to get to. So the next few so, weeks, yep. One last comment on that first case. Does it seem possible that all of that could have happened in 30 to 40 seconds? Uh, the the thing about it is that the way they explain it, the blackout itself was 30 to 40 seconds, but the, 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 the cook going down or closing the fire door was actually taking place before that. So him being – he was already underneath the floorboard before the blackout even happened. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so it was only basically him doing the deed and then leaving. That yeah, was... that was that was the only the extent of the thirty forty seconds. The rest okay. of it wasn't, you know, it's not like you know, like instantaneous or anything like that. The way they premeditated everything, and when you actually look at the the comic board, it doesn't tell you the passage of time very well because things are happening simultaneously. But they just say meanwhile, you know, letting you know that this is also happening during this event or during this time of of time. So it does it does make sense, but. It's obviously it's it's still a very elaborate murder, but uh, it, it's, it's plausible for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm excited to see what else happens. Yeah, that that the next case is pretty good. <laughs> so uh, on the next episode, uh, what are we going to cover, Joe? Uh, we're going to cover chapters two and three if we can. Okay. So um, I've already done two, and I'll be working on three uh, a little bit later on this week. Um. And uh, we'll set up a recording and everything like that. But before we leave off, we do have an email. Oh. We, 
we have a, a loyal listener playing along with us, giving us our email updates. Uh, Jamie writes in and says, uh, First, I wanted to mention that I watched several of the Miyazaki movies you uh, guys suggested when Jay was on last time. It was great to watch these movies with my kids, and they loved them as much as I did. Uh, we watched Ponyo, Castle in the Sky, Kiki's Delivery Service, Howl's Moving Castle, Spirited Away, and even Princess Mononoke. Although I probably shouldn't have let my, them watch that one. <laughs> yeah, that one's a little violent. Still, my son loved it. Anyways, I'm going to try and get my hands on Full Metal Alchemist over the Christmas holidays. You oh, were wonderful. In, you were in for a fantastic trip. Because just that is just make sure movie. make sure it's the Brotherhood one. Yeah, watch Brotherhood. Okay. Don't watch the original. Um, Wait, why not? The original makes this, makes up its own story. It follows the comic up to a point, but then they they actually catch up to the comic, and then they write their own story from there. Brotherhood um, was made after the comic finished, and it follows the comic completely. Yeah, and uh, it's basically the complete story as imagined by the person who wrote the story to begin with, so that's the one you want to experience. And also, it's longer, too. So you know it fills in all the gaps and stuff like that that the first one missed. No, I haven't seen Brotherhood, but the original one is one of my. It's probably my favorite anime that I've ever seen. Yeah, but Brotherhood is so much better. Yeah, it's really, really so much better. Um. So now, Danganronpa, uh, beware the Jabberwock, my son. The jaws that bite, the claws that catch. Beware the Jubju bird and shun the Firmerus Bandersnatch. What the? F- I don't know what that is. The the island where this takes place in Danganronpa Till's place is called the Jabberwock Islands. Right. So is, I don't think that, you should make a reference to that. But is that is something that's real? Uh, Jabberwock Island? Yeah. Mm, that's a good question. I have never heard of that. It's based on the real. Yeah, it's. Uh, uh, I think it's based on a real thing, but I don't think it is real. Uh-huh. Wait, wait, no, no, it, it does exist. It's a real okay. thing. Yeah, okay. So it says, so we're on Jabberwock Island. Jabberwocky is the most well-known work of nonsense, and if they're talking, taking their cues from it, well, we're in for some fun. I don't know what that is, unfortunately. Is it the, isn't the Jabberwocky from Alice in Wonderland through the... Through the Looking Glass, maybe. I thought it was kind of the sort of like the monster that lives on the other side. Could be, Jamie. You, if you wouldn't mind clearing that up in the next email, it says uh, so. Here we go, and it really does seem like we have gone down the rabbit hole. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so to speak, uh, or perhaps it's more accurate to say that we are gazing through the looking glass. There you go, Matt. Very good. At first, this game seems like it's identical to the first one, and that makes me happy because I didn't actually play the first one. I just watched the anime. <laughs> I remember being really disappointed that I didn't play along with you guys, but I couldn't really go back and play since I'd listened and knew how things went. Thankfully, the anime was fun to watch and got me up to speed. However, I'm finding now that it really downplayed the trial portion of the game. More on that later. Okay, so I'm not going to say too much about the beginning. It's typical Danganronpa stuff. Lost memories, weird stuffed animals, really strange creatures or characters uh, that you really uh, just need to accept and move on. 
I'm going to say that off the bat. I was suspicious of Teru Teru and Nagito. Probably because... Probably I was suspicious of Teru Teru just because he's a pervert. (laughs) I think most women have a pervert sense. A pervert sense. So (laughs) I was probably... uh, It was probably coincidental not actually picking up on any clues or anything. It was just sort of a general gross. I'm watching you sort of suspicion. Uh, Nagito seemed like he knew too much. I didn't expect him to end up being a nut job, but <laughs> I did think he was perhaps the traitor. Uh, I found the whole beginning to be crazy slow, but I understand that you need to meet all the characters. Still, it was really boring, so much so that I wondered if I wanted to play this game after all. I was so eager to for someone to get murdery, so let's move <laughs> on to that. <laughs> Woohoo! I loved investigation. Uh, that was, that has been where I had the most fun. Uh, when it was done, I was pretty sure that either Peko or Gundam had something to do with it. Although I'm sh- I wasn't sure how Gundam would have gotten under the floorboard since he was in the room with us. Anyways, it was clear that it was someone with the skewer under the floorboards, probably from a passage under the boxes in the storage room. I also suspected that Nikito had done it because he was cleaning and knew the most about the building, but then again, how did he get under the floorboards? Anyway, by the beginning of the trial, I was heavily leaning towards Pekko uh, until Gundam showed up with his earring. That threw me off. Okay, on to the trial. This was uh, this was unexpected. I didn't. I don't know if you guys watched the anime, but the trial is really fast, which is to be expected since you have to cut out the game part. I didn't expect it to have so many different components, though. I mm-hmm. actually found it somewhat overwhelming. And I have to say that, too. They really needed to add even more shit. Yeah, that's one of my major complaints about the game is that they overcomplicate the case trials unnecessarily. Adding, like, mini-games, like Hangman's Gambit. And, I fucking like, hate Hangman's, all that stuff. Hangman's Gambit so bad. It's, it's, it's really dumb. Uh, you, can, you can actually make that go faster and do it really quickly if you know the answer. Yeah, that's but the problem, But it's, like, though. a thing that doesn't exist. Yeah, that's the problem is, like, you have to do it in order. That's not how you play Hangman. In Hangman, you that's say true. H, and then you write in the H's. But in this one, you have to do it in the order it's spelled. And I'm like, well, how the fuck am I supposed to figure this out? You know? But anyway, back to her email. Uh, it just seems like once I learned what they wanted me to do, they introduced the new minigame. I had a hard time figuring out what the hell I'm doing. Contradicting? Agreeing? What damn bullet do I use? And to be honest, I cheated a bit after not being able to follow the game's logic. I tried to figure out what piece of evidence they were alluding to, but my thoughts just did not match up to what we were expecting. Sometimes it seems like it didn't make any sense. Anyways, uh, once I got into it, I did manage to mostly figure it out. I did die a couple of times, mostly in the showdowns with other students, with the truth blades. I found those to be the hardest to figure out, but then again, once I got it, once I got it, it was fine. I like the Hangman's Gambit the best. See, I hated that. <laughs> uh, anyways, in the end, I was wrong. Way wrong. And I was ashamed that I hadn't thought of Terra Terra since, like Pecco, he wasn't in the dining hall. I knew that Nagito was wrong when we first suspected him since the knife wasn't the murder weapon. And uh, that's kind of what we were basing it on. It was a little sad for Terra Terra to die, though, since I think he was telling the truth that he was trying to save us from Nagito. 
I'm surprised that the other students didn't lock Nagito up after all that. I'm not going to try to analyze Nagito. He's just nuts, I guess. To wrap up, I had my doubts at the beginning, but uh, by the trial, even though it was pretty challenging at times, frustrating, I was hooked. Looking forward to getting answers from this game. There are so many left uh, after the last one. Uh, P.S. Is this a pre this is a prequel, correct? It seems strange to have Monokuma going on about how Deja Vu is and how we've seen all this before. Well, I don't think it's a prequel. I could be wrong. Somehow they brought <laughs> Tagami back to life. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to explain away some inconsistencies to make that true. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, maybe it is. Maybe there is something else going on that seems to be uh, not so obvious uh, yeah. compared to what you see. And uh, one thing that I didn't touch upon is uh, what Terry Terry said. Like I said, like his reasoning for why he wanted to go back wasn't uh, just a sense of like, oh, I want to get out of here so I can just live my life. It wasn't that. It wasn't that selfish. He really was caring for his mother who was left all alone in the world. Um and to me, I think you think about something like murder It's probably one of the most terrible things that a human being can do. And you think to yourself, are, is someone capable of doing that in the right circumstances? Are, are me and you also capable of committing murder with the right incentive in the right situation under the right pressures? Probably, right? Like, I, I don't want to believe that. But at the same time, there's so many different things that could happen. Like, our loved ones are in danger and, you know, we have to do something to make sure that they stay alive or they aren't hurt or something like that. And uh, I, I always think about that kind of situation because, yeah, he was the murderer and he was the blackened, but he wasn't evil. He's not a terrible person or anything like that. Yeah, he's a pervert, you know, but he doesn't deserve to die because of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I always feel sad. No matter what the case, when someone dies, you know, it's still one of the students. It's still a kid, one way or another, you look at it, you know. There's still like a bunch of 16, 17, 18-year-olds, and they're caught up in this crazy situation trying to make sense of it all. And um, they're they're forced to, to kind of basically watch their, you know, students and friends die if they want to survive. And it's like a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. Yeah, they do. Although, Nagito, I think it would have been a little bit less sad. Uh, yeah, yeah. But like I said, man, like in, in his twisted own way, he makes sense. That's, that's, that's what I like about him in particular is that like he's bonkers. But in his in inside of his own mind, he makes perfect sense, and his logic is 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 fine. And you'll get to see more of him as the cases continue on. And uh, maybe your thoughts about him might change. Maybe they'll get worse. Maybe they'll get they'll get better. But it, it it'll be interesting to see. No. But that's uh that's it for us. Um, you can send us an email. It's drew at ztgd.com. You can give us our uh, thoughts on it. Um, you can also um. If you're playing along with us, we'd definitely love to hear your thoughts on it. So um, you can email us there. You can follow us all on Twitter. I'm at DML Fury. Matt is at REMGS. And Jay is at Batusai J. Uh, and the podcast itself is at ZTGD Phoenix Down. Um, I post all the episodes there, so you can use that as kind of a hub if you'd like. Um, but yeah, we'll be back next week doing two more cases. More people will die, and who will survive? I don't know. 
Well, we we have the we have the guesses here. We'll see how many of those will survive the next two cases. <laughs> <laughs> never mind, never mind the rest of the game. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it should be interesting to see. Okay. But yeah, that's it. Um, I hope you guys have a great week. Uh, we'll be back next week. But until then, I am Drew. And I'm Matt. I'm Zeno Gears. Oh, shut the hell up. What? Oh, the, oh, that's a Freudian slip. My mistake. I'm Jay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Oh, Jesus. And we are out of here with that with that wonderful note. <laughs> we'll be back next week with the continuation of...